Hello, and welcome to another Nine Circles Audio Thing. As always, I'm your host, Buke. And on this episode, it is a true pleasure for me. I am joined by Mr. John Davis of the Doom Band Conan. John, how's things going for you today, sir? Good. Yeah, great. Thanks. We're, we're just in the middle of a heat wave over here in the UK, so it's unseasonably hot at the moment. So I'm currently in shorts and t-shirt and <laughs> perspiring more than I would like. So, but apart from that, I'm on top of the world. You know, for asking. John, here, here I'm right outside Washington D.C. And this uh, this time of year, you know, it's hot, it's muggy. But I'm telling you, you you guys in your weather right now, it's making like national headlines for us o- over here. Is it is yeah. it really uh, that different from what it should be this time of year now? Well, I mean, it is it is the summer, and you know, when it's not like we're down like by the by the North Pole. Of course, yeah. we're going to get hot weather, <laughs> but but I, I guess. It's a, a li- it's a bit warmer than we're used to. Let's put yeah. it that way. I don't, yeah. I don't think us over here in the UK don't cope with that, like extremes of weather, but our sort of bandwidth for what we call extreme is narrower than other people's, I think. Yeah. So, I mean, I was in Spain just a few weeks ago and it was more or less as hot as this and it was just business as usual over there. So, um, but yeah, I guess it's, it's a bit warmer. We, our sort of... When it's warm over here, it's humid too, and that's the worst thing about it. I don't mind the heat as long as it's clean, but you just feel like you're sweating all day, oh. and that, that's the worst thing about yes, that. That, that. Is, that is the absolute worst. John, uh, yeah. this obviously is not a weather podcast, so we're not going to bore people too much with, with talking about the weather. You and I here, yeah. we, we are talking, you guys release Evidence of Immortality on August 19th, through uh-huh. napalm records and i'm i have been following you guys for years john you guys are one of my absolute favorite bands but you know i'm not just uh b- trumpeting you guys here but man you guys have a gem on your your hands here oh yeah thank you very much this... we're very proud of it you know yeah we, we, I, I still enjoy listening to it to myself listening to it myself so i guess that's a good sign you know, John, I have to ask you here really quick starting out. You know, I just interviewed Michael Shaker a couple of weeks back. And of course, he has a longer career than you do. But still, you know, here we are talking on your guys new album here. Is is it hard to sit down at the, the table and formulate something and get all the forces and all the stars aligned for this? Because you know, it's usually bands after they've released number of albums, you know, you, you kind of hear that they're mailing it in. And that's not the case here. You guys, this this it's it's hard to describe, but this is a fresh mat- maturity. Yeah. 
Oh, thank you. I, I'm glad you feel that way. We we feel the same way. It's um, this the album kind of was written over a much longer period than probably any of our previous albums. You know, the first time we got in the studio was December 2019. Uh, we booked a day in the Fowl studio, which is down in Wales, which is where Chris, our bass player, works. And, of course, Chris has been our producer since our first recording. So we th- we were determined to, to start recording and getting serious about the album then. Um, and I'm kind of... Lockdown slowed us down, obviously, like like, mm-hmm. like, every, other, like every other band. But I'm, in, in a way, it really helped us too because it meant that we slowed the whole writing process down. Um, you know, I, I'm sat here now in front of my home PC, which I built and got myself like a home recording set of just a just a modest one. But it was an, enabled me to um, record along to a drum machine and write riffs sort of remotely and send them to the guys uh, online because we weren't able to meet up. Um, our drummer, Johnny, lives in Ireland, so after a certain length of time, he just simply wasn't allowed to fly here at all. Um, so that was, like, th- that limitation really helped us to take our time at writing the songs, which was frustrating for me because I, I really wanted to get moving and get in the studio with the guys and stuff. But after a little while, I became to, I actually came to enjoy the fact that I had so much time to record. So in amongst like homeschooling my kids and playing Call of Duty and (laughs) eating takeaways, I I would just, I I, I would be working on this album quite intensely, you know, just working on riffs, coming up with drum patterns that I hope and Johnny might be able to replicate. And a lot of the songs came from those sorts of Mm -hmm. home sessions Fortunately, we had a productive session in December 2019, like I mentioned, and um, we took a lot of what we had in that session there and picked it apart, put it into different songs, and I was able to construct like A-team style, sort of like an album at home just on the, uh, with a drum machine that was miles away from being uh, good. But it had some cool riffs in there that I thought, oh, yeah, this is... These are a good direction for us. And me and the guys would just share ideas over the over the subsequent months. And then before you know it, lockdown was over and we had an album ready to go. Um, so we started recording drums and guitars and everything towards the end of last year. And, uh, and then we come to record the vocals and the vocals came together very easily. So honestly, the album, although... It took longer than expected. It seemed like we made a better fist of it because of the constraints over lockdown. You know, John, I have asked a lot of artists, and I've spoke with a lot of artists of how they used the lockdown. You know, there were some members who said, hey, you know what, this is going to kind of be a breath of fresh air, and I'm going to rediscover family time, or I'm going to rediscover working out or find new hobbies or something. How did you use lockdown aside from what you were just mentioning with the band? Were there like maybe, you know, you mentioned Call of Duty. I'm a big video gamer myself. I discovered a bunch of single player games because I have an autoimmune disorder. So I had to be I was basically the hunchback of Notre Dame here. I was 
Yeah, I was locked away uh, away from society until we really got the all clear. Yeah. But I discovered a lot. Like, I bought myself an indoor bike. I discovered a love of, of biking. Oh, yeah. Cool. Um, and I spent a lot of time, you know, with my little girl playing with her and, and just seeing her blossom in, in, in front of my eyes as, you know, the young woman she is. Yeah. Did, from like a music standpoint or personal standpoint, did you discover any growth over the past couple of years? Uh, I, I really did. Um, and um, I'm glad you mentioned it because like towards around about summertime 2020, I, I've I had this idea in mind for a, um, a networking and management software platform just focused on the music industry, but that would be applicable to the end to any event or any mm-hmm. any type of performance. <laughs> and I, I put a team together um, to help me develop it. It's a web-based platform. It's called SceneGen, S-C-E-N-E-G-E-N dot I-O, uh, www. But the, the software platform is called SceneGen. And back in the, I remember reading back in the nineties, there was a uh, a movement in America, and there was a magazine there called Book Your Own Fucking Life, and it was like a, um, it was a sort of hand printed A5 magazine that was printed every quarter or every six months, and it you'd find it in record stores or you'd find it in the back of a van or down the back of a settee in someone's house. And it was just like a who's who within the industry in the USA. And it, cause it was updated every six months. It had this like live feel to it. You know, you could be on tour, you pick up the latest issue and it tell you who would be the best person to ring. If you wanted a basement show in Cleveland or okay. who do you ring in? Who, who can you send? If you're like a black metal band or, or a skate punk band from Seattle Who's the best label in, I don't know, Oshkosh, Wisconsin? Who, who would who would want who would who would receive your demos favorably? And the, it was this compendium of of a who's who, but you could search through it specifically by town. And I got to thinking that that was kind of like would solve the problem that I had growing up, being in a band as a kid in the nineties. You know, I never played outside of Liverpool until two thousand and seven. I beg your pardon, 2010. So I was thinking, you know, if I if there was something like that that existed whereby you could quickly search for and, and make contact with, um, you know, the right contacts, you know, worldwide, somewhere cool to send your demo or a promoter that would be able to put you on if you wanted to go and play in a, be- a squat in Berlin. Mm-hmm. All of these people would be on us. So, yeah, <laughs> to cut a long story you know- short... John, I have to piggyback off that. You guys here in D.C. area, mm-hmm. you played a couple years back at uh, one of our local. Yeah, yeah at, at, at Atlas. Yeah. Uh-huh. You know, it's cool. You must have never thought growing up that your music would take you around the world, you know, That's true. playing all these different venues and stuff like that. But. But you look at like, you know, how Atlas hosts you guys and all these different places that years back, I ne- and I'm, I'm 39, I never would have thought about breweries hosting bands. Have, have yeah. you seen an evolution of more different, of more venues being open to hosting you guys throughout the years? Yeah, kind of a, a little bit. I mean, that, that one there that you mentioned, the Atlas Brewery, 
um, was unexpected. We never played in the brew room. We certainly didn't expect to play in the storage room at the back with all the vats, all the, all the vats full of um, fermenting beer. Um, strange. I'm, I'm not. I'm not so sure we've played any other. I can't think of any other kind of like crazy sort of venues that we've played at. We've played one or two breweries and we've played like outside at a brewery or mm-hmm. two. Um, there's a, 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 there's a, there's a venue in, um, I think it's, uh, where is it? Somewhere in Germany where the, it's called, it's called the Schlachthof. The venue's called Schlachthof and it's a former slaughterhouse. Um, that's a cool place. And that's, and that's in a town called Wiesbaden. And that's, uh, I mean, you wouldn't know it was a slaughterhouse because yeah. it's, you know, it's been completely gutted and refurbished, but, um, yeah, we've played there a couple of times. That's kind of like a cool venue. There's another place just like that in Dresden, if I remember rightly. Um, yeah, we played downstairs in a restaurant once in in the, the height of summer in Paris, which is one of the sweatiest shows we've ever played. Uh, aside from that, no, not really. Nothing too crazy. Hey, John, I, I have to ask, playing at, at different smaller venues or different u- unique venues, I've always wondered, how is the acoustics of your guys' music? Is it really hard when you have such crushing tones where the, I'm sure the reverb is just wrecking you or wrecking the fans? Is it hard to kind of get the sound that you guys like to at different venues and stuff like that? Or because like I've interviewed Primitive Man guys, and they're right. so loud. That you can feel, you know, the literal fabric in your shirt, yeah. <laughs> you know, rattling. Yeah. Do, yeah. Do, does do, do different venues kind of wreak havoc, or do you like the fans to really feel that sonic connection with you guys? Yeah, but I mean, but like to play loud and and feeling that sonic connection is definitely important. Um, we 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 usually will travel with a sound engineer to make sure that I mean, I guess our sound is not specialist. But it's certainly like it's not your average rock band. So I <laughs> no. guess it, and there'll be a lot of venue will have their own sound guy or sound lady or sound whatever. And they would be perfectly capable of making us sound good. But just for sake of consistency, we'll bring our own sound engineer. Um, I think in, depending on the venue, it, your onstage sound can be can be better or worse. That's where I notice it more. And uh, I'm starting to use in-ear monitors soon. Mm. So I've been, I've always just had like molded earplugs just to protect my hearing. But I think in now moving forwards, I'm going to get some in-ear monitors. Uh, sorry, I do have them. I just haven't been using them. But I'm going to start using them now, just so I can get like a more uniform stage sound. So I know. So it's the same at every show, more or less. I think that'd be really good for me. Now, talking about gear and sound and stuff like that, you know, for anybody listening, you know, maybe they may get ideas. What do you like in your monitors or what do you think? What what sound do you like coming through your monitors? You like some of your own tone? You like drums, your vocals? What 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 for you personally? Um, for me personally, I always ask for kick and snare mm. uh, and my own guitar and my own vocals. And that's all I have. I don't like to be able to hear Chris's vocals because he's normally louder than me. And I don't normally like to have Chris's bass because that puts me off somehow. Um, so I, I like to play along to the drums. And I, I think a lot of the writing is done with just me and a drummer or a drum machine. Or, you know, a lot of... I can also be in the same room with Chris, obviously. But I always seem to get more done when it's just two. 
So live on stage, I normally just have the, I can hear the drums, but not the bass. Now, now, John, you are a man who, you know, dabbles in other music. You work in Ungraven also. Do Is there something that Conan, I'm not saying, you know, holds you down or something like that, but your work in Ungraven, does that allow you to spread your wings more or get more creative flexibility? What does being in other projects give you that Conan doesn't? Um, well, it- at the start, Ungraven was very different to Conan. And it was, you know, me and a drum machine, like I was mentioning before. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I latterly started using that drum machine technique to write for Conan. But what I found was with Ungraven, I wrote some songs which were cool. And we performed those songs live as Ungraven a few times, me and a couple of other guys. Um, but I found myself, a lot of the stuff I was coming up with, was was material that would have sounded great in Conan. So I, I quickly realized that really I'm kind of distra- I'm diverting waters from the reservoir that Conan should be um, looking after. And there's a few songs which would have been great Conan songs. And um, I think I'll hold back now from writing new material that isn't Conan. Because at kind of a pivotal moment now, we're just we're, this is our last album on Napalm, unless they want to talk to us again about something new. So we're, possibly we can move on now. Our contract is over. So um, I guess we wanted to uh, just have an album that was um, like solid, but like I, I didn't want to start giving material to another band or another pro- another side project. And in fact, Ungraven more and more sounded like Conan live. So I just thought it's a bit of a difficult one, this. So we'll leave Ungraven for now. And I'll just focus my energies on Conan, especially now that we're coming out of lockdown and there are more opportunities I, I, are coming through more now. Makes sense. You know, you you look at, you know, there are so many bands now in this age and with the band camp and the Spotify, you are exposed to so many bands and so many bands that one could say, oh, Monolord sounds like Conan. Or all, but you look at it, you guys were kind of the, well, some of the front runners in the sound that you guys have. And I mentioned Primitive Man and stuff like that. When when you started Conan and back on the Battle in the Swamp days and mm-hmm. you look, you know, you really broke, you know, Manos was like, holy cow, the, 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 you guys really burst on the scene there. And of course, you had had a couple of demos and then the horseback EP, EP, EP. What was, was there something missing in the metal landscape or was this always a sound that you and the guys personally liked? Or what, how did, you know, looking back at the origins of Conan, how did you guys come to be when, when people mention this genre? You guys yeah. almost go hand in hand with it. Yeah. Well, do you know, I think, I think that in the very early days, at the sound that we had then um, was a lot simpler than the sound that we have now. The structure of the songs was a lot simpler than it is mm-hmm. now. And I think looking back, at my intentions were the same then as they are now. However. Back then, back in the Horse of Battle Hammer days and, and the demos that preceded that, my my like a bit my writing ability was you know for writing this kind of music was kind of in its infancy. And you know, I've never professed to be a particularly talented guitar player, 
I think I'm a bit better now than I was then um, in terms of my equipment and in terms of my own technique. And a lot of those, like Monos and Horse of Battlehammer, relatively simple songs. And all I wanted to do then was just to play simple songs, but very loud. And I didn't have any idea about record labels. I had no idea about the Doom scene. I didn't never play the show, a Doom show. I like I was starting to enjoy High on Fire, Slamatics, bands like that, Black Cobra as well. But I never really understood what it meant to be like a Doom band. So it, I remember when we first got our first demo, sending it to a few friends and saying, what is this? What does this fit into any kind of like genre? And I remember a couple of friends were saying, oh, that's more like sludge or doom metal. And then we just kind of went from there. So we didn't write it thinking, oh, yeah, let's start a doom metal band. Um, we kind of just, I always had an, I always wanted to write heavier music in the bands I had before Conan. It was like pop punk initially. And then I gradually started to make them a little darker, started to listen to Fudge Tunnel, made them like punk, but grunge, but like heavy and detuned. And um, yeah, and eventually just Conan just came to be. You know, the real interesting thing about about you guys is that, you know, with with you guys being so lumped in that when when people mention this genre, they yeah. they mention Conan, they yeah. mentioned High on Fire, they they mentioned the Slowmatics. Do you you know, I'm not I'm not saying lie to me here, but do you almost feel that this pressure to kind of carry the torch of the genre that's kind of bestowed upon you guys, or do you just come here and just write Conan music? Like, you know, the internet gives everybody a platform to have a voice mm -hmm. and so many people can, can bash you guys or so many people can rave about you, you guys. Yep. And it, it takes seconds. Do you feel any of this pressure as kind of the forebears of, of this modern doom sound here um i wouldn't say that we feel any pressure no i mean it's a privilege really to to be able to be thought of in that way um and i mean i i love reading the reviews of the music that we put out good or bad but honestly i don't feel i don't feel a pressure and i'm okay. sure that i'm sure chris and johnny don't either we just really we just really enjoy what we're doing um and, and actually we're quite proud that we've been able to be like a doom metal band, but also play different kinds of shows. So we played in regular metal festivals. Mm -hmm. We played at Obscene Extreme the other day, you know, with a load of crust bands, load of D-beat. And um, like, we, we, we're glad that that, we're glad that those types of promoters will have us, but we are recognized as being a doom metal band. I think that's really cool. You know, um, yeah. John, I'm sorry to step on you there. Obviously in your backyard, you know, you were and you are fortunate enough to live in a nation that has birthed some of the greatest bands, not just in metal, but rock in 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 music as it is. Yeah. How how is it that I'm not talking to John, the tra traditional metal guy playing in the, the vein of like a Judas Priest or a Iron Maiden. What was it about the playing easy and slow that you latched onto and you didn't play? I don't know, you're not John, the death metal guy or something like, like that. Yeah, well, I do like those types of music for sure. I think this kind of music just appealed to me because it seemed like something I could use to express myself. 
uh, with quite easily. Um, it was less challenging to write songs in this structure. The technique I use to play this kind of music is just bar chords, drop tunes. Yeah. It's relatively simple. But I also got, I think I got kind of a, a keen ear for like a melody and a chord structure and, and, and playing sort of simple music, but playing it in a way that's still catchy and as a hook, I think really helps us to stand out, I guess, compared with other bands um, for, for better or worse. And um, I really think that, I really think that we, uh, we enjoy playing simple, but I remember the first time, the first thing my parents got me when I first wanted to play guitar was uh, they bought me an, a Spanish classical acoustic guitar. <laughs> wow. But, okay. But at the same time, bought me the, 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 the music book for Fistful of Metal by Anthrax. So I don't know how they expected me to, as, a, as a, I think I was 11 or something. I don't know how they expected me to learn how to play that music on a Spanish classical acoustic, but I gave it a go. Uh, and um, Metal Thrash and Mad, I sort of got the riff to that, but I learned that more by ear than reading the music, to yeah. be honest. So, yeah, I've just kind of like, I wanted to write music that I would find easy to put together, but that would sound cool, played loud. And honestly, it was as simple as that at first. I think now we give ourselves a little bit more, we put ourselves under a little bit more pressure to make more effort than than it required maybe in the earlier days. Um, yeah. John, does does the simple music and the simple style that you guys play, is it easy to maybe fall into a trap of stuff you've done previously? Are you kind of cognizant of that, that maybe since it is so simple, we need to be mindful of, oh, this isn't a riff that, you know, we maybe have, have done before. Yeah, that's totally valid. And that is something that we're really um, conscious of because it's something that we really, really don't want to do. So we, we put ourselves under pressure to keep, not to sort of not change our style each album, but just to explore slightly new territory with each album and have a different kind of feel. Um, and I think I've felt that pressure more so Monos and Blood Eagle. Around then, I really had a... Um, I really felt under pressure because I, I was struggling creatively to come up with anything that sounded different to Horse or Battlehammer, and I wasn't sure where to take it. Um, fortunately, though, when we got um, when we when we got uh, a different drummer, when Rich came in for uh, Revengeance, and of course we have the song Revengeance, the first song we're like super fast drumming in, and that opened up a new world to us. Then obviously Johnny's come in now, so Johnny wrote um, Existential Void Guardian with us and uh, this album too. And we got songs on there, which have got blast beats and we've got like more up-tempo parts. And I think that variety has really helped us. You know, you have also done some, some guest vocal work. And it's funny because I'm looking here at some of your guest work and it's bands that I've interviewed here, like your boss, Kilo work. I, I, I love those guys. I yeah. interviewed them. I think they're a band that still goes under the radar a lot here in the States with uh, yeah. uh, a lot of people. Do you like doing that guest work? Uh, sort of. I mean, we, I did that then a lot because I had the studio. We had, we had a recording studio called Skyhammer in my, in my back garden. And um, so when bands would come in, if they were like, they knew who we were, they'd be asking me to go and um, 
do a few lines with them. Uh, I mean, singing, not not cocaine. So I would, um, I would, I would absolutely go and do that. And it was just for the fun, you know. It, it wasn't something I thought. Oh yeah, this is a good professional move. I just thought I'd go and hang out with the guys and do a couple of um, uh, and sing some vocals with them. Uh, I did some with Un over in Seattle as well. Not that you may remember on the on the uh, the first album, the Tomb of All Things. Uh, mm. I vocals on one song on on there. So, yeah, I mean, it's something that I've done in the past and I'll, I'll do it again in the future if the stars align. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's for fun, really. Nothing more. I got you. Now, you know, it's trying to stick with like a simple uh, formula that works. I think something I have to give you guys credit for, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention this, is your guys' art style. I think it is second to none some of the consistently best in music is is that something that you have from the start said hey this this is our style and this is our formula and we we find something that works and we're going to stick with it because i i cannot rave enough about your guys artwork yeah well thank you we've been very lucky because we've had the same um artist since also battle hammer and that is a uh that's a guy called tony roberts he lives in oklahoma but he's done work for lots of other cool bands. And we found him through, actually, the first guy who played bass for us, John McNulty, gave me his name when I was thinking about who we might talk to about album art. And um, from the very first moment that I spoke to Tony, he totally got what we were doing. And he, uh, he has been a constant with us since then. And he's, uh, his artwork is just fits our music perfectly we don't tell him what to do we just give him we just say what well, we got we need an album either by this date here's the lyrics here's some demos and then he will as the album takes shape he normally writes he normally will complete the art and we'll send him like updated tracks and then he'll make his artwork around that but you're right it it, it his artwork is is second to none it's brilliant we actually just recently got talking to one of the guys from Games Workshop. Oh, uh, oh my! I don't know if you can see it from my shoulder, but I have a huge Warhammer yeah. 40k poster. Oh yeah. man, nice! Yeah, so one one of the guys who actually did a lot of the art and does a lot of the art for Warhammer 40k um, is uh, working with us at the moment. Just just working on on, on an idea for an illustration and maybe <sighs> a new, maybe a new logo. So we're gonna see. What happens with that? And so, but but Tony, Tony has always been our album art guy and our, our merchandise designer. So, but we'll mix it up a little bit. You know, we'll see how things move forward. Um, but yeah, it's it's important to us to have good artwork. It always has. It, it, it enhances the experience and it makes us think you're cool when really we're just <laughs> we're just three normal, boring guys from the UK and Ireland. So <laughs> it help. It helps our image. Well, John, you know, you, I, I, you, as, as you can see, I'm not like you. I'm, I have a blank canvas for tats. I, yeah. your guys' artwork would make. I'm sure you ever seen any fans who've got your guys' artwork? Do you have any of your own artwork uh, adorned on you? Do you have any Conan pieces on you? I don't have any Conan pieces on me. Um, however, I do have this, this here. I'll try and get the camera angle yeah. for you. This here, uh, this bit is the same. This is his head here. It's hard to tell, I guess, from the angle, but 
that's the same guy who's on our album covers. And that Tony okay. did that for me. Tony did that for me. I guess it would work on my shin, but I got it on my arm because I'm a coward. And <laughs> I got this done in uh, Copenhagen um, when we were on tour there one time. So that's the closest I've come to having Conan artwork on me. But the uh, there are plenty of people who've uploaded photographs of our having the artwork tattooed on them. So we always make a point of saying thank you. You know, every now and again at a show, someone will come up and say, oh, check this out. And they've got like, you know, a big tattoo. And I think that's cool. I mean, that's like a, a real honor that someone will put on them. Man, because I cannot, re- you know, I'm, I'm going on and on, but evidence of Im- immortality, that the red with the grays in the, the oh, man, is it such a cool, I, you know, I was really thinking that, man, maybe I could work in something like this because it, it is just such a cool piece. And it, it, yeah. it, it, I'm not, well, I'm, I'm not the smartest, uh, uh, nail in the uh bin but um you know there's some that that album artwork kind of works in with the title it's just oh it's just a beautiful piece yeah it's great and it screams death to me that album cover he's just in a field and it's blood red so it's not quite blood red but it, yep. it, it makes me think like of, of it being all blood red and it's bleak and um you know two colors our last album was gold and black this one's more muted, like a matte sort of finish to the artwork. And it just, it's kind of miserable. And that's something that we wanted to have on this album, just to make it seem like a more bleak and kind of desperate. And I mean, the, the album itself is, is kind of like that. Some of the lyrics are desperate and, um, you know, um, they, they, they are about like, uh, a lot of them are, are not, not all about war, but it's sort of, about some of the emotions that go along with battling and, and warfare and sadness and hope and anger and frustration and um, triumph. And uh, the album um, captures that perfectly. And I really enjoy the, the center fold artwork as well on the album. That's like such a cool piece. He's something else, Tony. He's got like, he's a really gifted person. So we're delighted that he works with us. Hey, John, I have not been able to see it yet. At least I, I don't see it uh, online. Maybe it's on the Napalm store. Is there vinyl yeah. coming for this? Yeah, there is. Yeah, the Napalm have got two different variations of vinyl. And then we ourselves have got like a, a band specific vinyl variation, which we do have for sale. We've got like our own link tree. It's link tree forward slash hail Conan. Um, and on there, you can access our two different web stores and, uh, through there you can order the, we've got like a, a glow in the dark variant of the album. And it's something we've never done before. We never had our own color scheme before, but we thought we'd do that on this, on this one. And it, it looks cool. I am going to have to, uh, buy that vinyl cause I'm a huge vinyl guy. Hey, I, I have to ask, are, are you... Does does the Conan name draw inspiration from the novels? I, I'm, I'm I'm sure you've been asked that. I told you b- before we started the re- recording process, I would not ask you something you have been asked bef- before, but yeah. it's it almost has to be a given, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, of of course, it it does inspire me, and I I, I, I wow, I, look at that! I have that one. I've also got this really cool book that I got from uh, my friend Scott and Amber in Witch Kiss, and they sent me this one. Oh, oh, that is gorgeous. 
all sorts of cool artwork from from the uh, from the books and all stories and the books <sighs> and everything. So that's super cool. So yeah, that our songs aren't about Conan, but they are about that life. Yeah, about that life. Yes, yes. Yeah, that's, that's the best way of describing it. We are, we're yes. all about riding a bear with glowing eyes into battle and killing everyone. That's that's what we want to do. Now, this new album, sort of like because of what's happened in Ukraine, it kind of writing those lyrics kind of felt like it was the real world, but it's not. It's it was inspired by the by, by the war in Ukraine, and we we kind of started to stray off topic. Really, in the last couple of albums. You know, there's a couple of touchy-feely lyrical passages in the last couple of albums. And this album, I just wanted to write just about brutal death. And uh, all the songs are kind of about that. I think my, my lyrics have gotten a little bit cleverer on this last album than on, on previous albums, I think. So I was able to get my point across in a more skillful way. But um, it's it's all about the same Conan stuff. So, yeah, it's Conan is definitely uh, an inspiration you know, more, more so in broad terms. I am glad you mentioned uh, the war in Ukraine. Not that it's a good thing because war is absolutely tragic. I I saw uh, pictures on Reddit the other day of a little girl, actually my daughter's age, who yeah. lost her life from a rocket attack. Yeah. And I'm so glad you mentioned that because I think a lot of us in our conscience, our conscience uh, memories, I think a lot of people... They either are too worried about TikTok trends or whatever, and yeah. the war in Ukraine kind of goes on the back burner. And I'm glad you mentioned that, that uh, yeah. it can be brought back up that, hey, this this attack, this assault on this nation is still going on today. Yeah, 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 for sure. I mean, like, it's it's definitely front and center in, in, in the lyrics because – um, although I had some of the lyrics written already, you know, 80 to 90% of the lyrics were actually written like literally the night before we went in to record them. Um, and, and that evening was the day that was the evening before, uh, Russia moved into Ukraine, uh, invaded Ukraine. So for, for a week or two prior to that, we had this like anxiety over, is this going to happen or not? And it all built up to a crescendo that night because it was like, okay, the, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. And because of that, a lot the lyrics just kind of spilled out to me really actually alarmingly easily. And I was able to knock them into shape very quickly as well. I was really inspired by the feelings that I personally had in response to that situation. Um, so, I mean, it, it, it pales into insignificance compared to how it must feel to be directly involved in that situation. But I, um, you know, I was really moved by what was going on, brought to tears by it on, on, on more than one occasion. And it just, it proved to be like a really powerful uh, motivation to get, the, make the lyrics good. And uh, like I say, it's not about the, that war at all, but we've always sort of made songs about, the battle mm -hmm. between good, good and evil and and here it is sort of in the real world and it really it really um sparked me into life and the lyrics were written all that night more or less and they were recorded the next day as the invasion began so it just it's uh, even though it isn't about the war it that it's definitely front and center whenever i think about it you know 
even though you say it's not about the war and stuff like that, you know, you obviously grow up, grew up in a country that that knows war well. Do you have any personal connection with maybe grandparents, uh, great grandparents who lived through the bombings during World War II, or maybe any veterans of World War One, World War Two, at well, all? Because I I ask because I'm a I'm a huge history buff. Like uh-huh. we we mentioned what we discovered during the pandemic. I don't know if you ever watched it, but I fell in love with this British TV show called Time Team. I I know, yeah. I I became addicted to it. They really mm-hmm. don't cover World War One and World War Two, but yeah. I but military history is always my wheelhouse. So you know, talk about history and lyrics and stuff like that. Do you have any family members who have a direct ties to that? Yeah, well, before I answer that, you, you should make a note of this cool show called um, Coastline Detectives. Okay. I think it, was, it was on Amazon TV, and it's basically a bit like Time Team, but they'll, like, uncover, you know, as the tide's gone out over time, there'll be, like, a Victorian swimming pool discovered <sighs> on, the, on a beach somewhere. Oh, then, you're making me excited, John. All that kind of stuff. So it's called, uh, I think it's called Coastline Detectives. So you should check that out. Okay. In terms of In terms of the war... Not so much really. However, my grandparents, I mean, I, I, I grew up in Liverpool and so do my grandparents. And that was bombed quite heavily in World War II. Um, and I, my granddad, um, uh, he's, he's passed on now, but he used to tell me about when he was growing up in when World War II was happening. And he was 12 or 13, sort of, and going into his mid-teens when the war was happening. So he never did um, serve in the army. And he used to deliver ice cream for a local shop and he would be on his bike cycling all over Liverpool delivering ice cream, you know, in, in amongst the ruins of the city um, and the surrounding places. And my grandmother was a few years younger than him and she was evacuated to North Wales, which is actually a bit south of where we are here in the northwest of the UK. And um, she was evacuated down there, but she, she was evacuated to a farm. She hated it. So she cycled all the way back home on a bike with uh, two flat tires, which which must have taken her hours and hours and hours. But she just didn't want to be away from her family when she was forced to be away from her family for her own safety. Wow. And um, yeah, she just she cycled all the way back home. And I, I remember her telling me that when I was a child as well. So I've got the they're the two main stories I can remember from when wow. my parents were around. But they they were they were just in their early teens when that war happened. So, you know, I uh, I really feel for them because that must have been a scary time for them. Hey, I have to and thank you for sharing it. That is fascinating. Do you? I have to ask. Do you embrace your history as a nation? Because you know, here stateside here, we have a compared to you guys over there, we have a relatively young history you know only going back a couple hundred years but i watched time team and they're uncovering roman villas they're uncovering iron age settlements yeah uh they're uncovering all this stuff do you embrace your history at all have you traveled around to a bunch of sites and stuff because i'm the type of guy if i was to go to the uk i wouldn't care less about uh, buckingham or big ben you know i want to see those old Iron Age. I want to see the old hill forts. I want to see yeah. the old stuff. Do you embrace any of that? Does that interest you at all, or or no? Yeah, it certainly does. Only just the other week, my wife, my wife, my wife is from New Zealand, so she's similar. She's in a similar spot to you in terms of her own country is relatively young, 
um, in terms of like the the, the natural uh, history art, like, yeah. and, and history. Yeah. Um, so uh, we joined English Heritage actually only just the other week because only because it was somewhere cool to take the dogs. And there's a lot of there's a lot of cool castles and a lot of cool hill forts like you just mentioned. And we went to a uh, Beeston Castle, which is not too far from where we are. B W E S T O N, and that was a former Iron Age settlement, which was then used in medieval times. And that's a really cool place. But in terms of embracing our history, not particularly. I find it interesting, but it, I would I don't identify with it. Um, you know, my my family came from Ireland. Um, you know, a few generations back. On my mother's side, on my dad's side, they've always been around, in and around Liverpool, as I understand it. So I don't know. I'm not really like I, I wouldn't call myself a, a proud English person or anything like that. I just, you know, I, I I enjoy living here, but personally, I enjoy traveling too. So I can. How do you, uh, you know, for the uh, flip flip of the coin? How do you like coming stateside here? Is it is it really that much different from over there? Because I I unfortunately have not been able to travel outside of the states yet. Mm-hmm. I I honestly I absolutely love the USA. I love it. Um, I I went as a late uh, my mid to late teens. My parents brought us over on a couple of family holidays to Florida, and it was on those trips that I discovered death. I discovered helmet. I discovered Cannibal Corpse, and I would just take myself off when everyone was having an afternoon nap. I would like, there was a there was a mall near where we were, and I would just take myself off and go and buy a couple of tapes, and I would listen to them religiously on my uh, on my Walkman. And I, I uh, it was all I remember telling my mum I'm going to live in America when I'm older. I, I didn't do that, and I, I've got I've got children, so I, I don't think I ever will. But like. Um, America for me was always somewhere that I wanted to tour as soon as Conan started to become serious because a lot of the bands that we are inspired by are from America more, more so than the UK. Um, so it was always my dream to come and tour in America. And in fact, we, we realized that dream in 2015 and we've been there every year since. In fact, we're in the process now of looking at some, um, some more U S shows for next year, hopefully. And, uh, yeah, there's something about. I, I love the culture. I love the excess. Um, I love the. I love the sense of humor. I love the. I love the. I love the countryside. I love the food. I, I just, and I, I love playing there because the crowds are always awesome, and um, it's kind of worked for us because most of our fan base is based over in the USA. So it's important for us to be there often to you know keep that fan fan base yeah. happy. So yeah, I, I, America, I would say, and Canada, you know, they're my favorite places to go on tour without any shadow of a doubt. You know, gearing up for uh, that first international t- tour when you came over to the States, do you remember how you were back back then? Was that like, oh my God, like, look, yeah. we're, we're, we are taking this show worldwide. Yeah. And, and we're, we're the fit, because I remember, you know, Op- Opeth is my favorite band. Yep. And Mikkel always mentioned how, you know, Europe, European fans and a lot of Swedish people specifically are very reserved, very quiet. And yep. the first time he came to an American show and he always mentioned, you know, the American fans don't shut up. They're always a rowdy bunch. 
you know, they're always yelling free bird. They're always, it's just, it's just a rowdy party crowd. Or is there really a black and white difference between, you know, the UK shows or other shows to when you come over stateside here? Um, I think UK shows tend to be a bit more polite depending on where you play. Um, but then again, you'll have some shows where it, where it goes crazy. Um, but it, it tends to be in like certain pockets of the country where you'll have, I mean, for example, Brighton down south is like always the shows there are kind of violent. Uh, Nottingham always throws a pit. Um, but then other places might be a little bit more laid back. Um, but in America, generally, every show is kind of intense. And we I love that. You know, I remember from the very first time we got a we got a pit at one of our shows. I was like, okay, we need to write some more faster songs to make that happen more often. And that was kind of the inspiration for getting a lot of the sort of more up tempo tunes that we have now. Um, yeah, it's it, it is completely different being in America. I think Europe again, it depends on where you play. Like we just like we just played in uh, Obscene Extreme on Wednesday just last week. And that that was, you know, like a, a crust punk festival. And that was like one of the best responses we've had. And it wasn't even really our crowd. You know, there's a couple of Conan shirts in the crowd. But by and large, it was people in, um, uh, you know, like a, like a discharge T-shirts or whatever. And it was like, okay, these if we can appeal to these guys, then, it, you know, that was really something for me. Um skit system you know another band i've just like started listening to them more now after that festival and it's it's like you get more of that feeling in america than you do in our our normal shows in uk and europe so those shows are great in their own right but yeah i can't wait to get back to america to be honest now you've mentioned that you've made me all nostalgic yeah so you know uh, hopefully you guys can get back here next year you know a couple more questions and i'll let you go here you know we we talk about fan bases and stuff being ravenous but we know how the uk football scene is do you follow uh the reds at all or you're not really a football guy no I, i i live like close to liverpool so i actually sport everton um do you really okay yeah i'm an everton everton with the team that were here first and they were the team that my granddad um, introduced me to as a child so and we found that everton um are are the least lesser of the successful of the two sides for sure (laughs) but we were here first and liverpool is the tourist attraction whereas everton is the real football time football team so it's like you can be proud to be an evertonian whereas being a Liverpool fan, you just do it because they're like they've won more, and I, I, I think that's kind of lame. So yeah, I'm an Everton fan. I'm very proud of it. You know, but you look, Liverpool. What has Salah? Right? Yeah, it, yeah. it has oh, yeah. has all the money. <laughs> yeah. You know. Yeah. It Liverpool. definitely. Yeah, you know, I have to give you a lot of credit because it definitely takes a true fan to stick with a team when you easily could jump ship. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. For <laughs> sure. Well, Liverpool tried it on with that whole European Super League thing. Oh my they, God! Did they, they talk about the flack that they caught for that? I got yeah. a fan on uh, a friend of mine here, one of my best friends uh, who on my podcast here. He's a Arsenal fan, uh, oh, yeah. so he had to go through that whole Super Club Super League thing yeah. with Arsenal. Yeah. I think they let let them have their own league. Let them go and do it on their own. I don't care. 
you know, the one nice thing about the league of that I live, you can't see also, but I'm a big ice ice hockey fan. I live oh, yeah. for Washington Capitals hockey here. Okay. The cool thing that I love about English football is I love the promotion relegation aspect of it. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We nearly got I, I absolutely love that because it adds, you know, like that Cinderella story from a couple of years ago. I'm drawing a blank on the club. But when a team can come and win everything who is such an unknown on, like, on the global scale, it's so cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's less that you're referring to there. Yes, yes. Um, and only a couple of years after that, their chairman died in a helicopter crash flying home from a game at their ground. It, it took off from the ground and, and, and crashed next door. So it just goes to show just the ups and downs of football. But, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm an Everton fan, but um, I, just wish we'd, uh, I, I just wish we didn't get so close to relegated, releg- being relegated again because it was a little bit stressy last time. When we got quite close to going down, we saved ourselves in the last couple of games. Really, do you watch uh, F F one at all? I know it's huge over there. I don't know. Chris is into like motorbikes and stuff like that, but not for me. Uh, last question here before I let you go. You mentioned it when we were doing our introductions and what you were doing during the pandemic. Are video games a big thing for you, or you just play it time to time? Um. More so during lockdown, I just got completely obsessed with um, with Call of Duty Warzone, like lots of people. Yep. Uh, and I also played a lot of this um, space simulation called Eve Online. Oh, I know it. So basically, spreadsheets. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, and I was just playing those spreadsheets, but it was kind of. I think I'm still paying ten pounds a month for my subscription to CCP Games. I must cancel that. So I, I got. I've got this character on there that I've been developing since. I think 2010, so it's quite old now. But um, yeah, I got into them a lot just through boredom, and you know, my wife Sarah and I got married in January 2020. We were planning to spend time together, and then because of lockdown, we didn't see each other until um, August September 2020. So during that, during those eight or nine months, I was just trying to. Uh, keep myself occupied and stop myself from losing my mind because it was one it was a bit of a bit of a shit time but you know what though john you have all those hours into eve do you really want to cancel that do you really want to walk away from all the progress no i I guess not i must admit i I stopped enjoying it as much towards the end i was when i got more into like a more like um adrenaline rush type of game like uh like call of duty but um, in fact, I was about to play that today, but my headphones have died, so I've got to try and repair them. You know what, John? Maybe uh, I don't want to in, invite myself, but you ever want to fire up a Warzone game? I would love love to play with you because I've had so much fun talking with you today, my my yeah. friend. That's John, r- really quick, and I'll let you go. Are there any... Do you listen to a lot of other music your, yourself? You know, we're kind of halfway through 2022 now. Do you have any albums of the year that are really jumping out at you? Or you've really been so entrenched in your own music, you really don't listen to any other stuff? It has been a bit like that, to be honest with you. I do listen to a lot of other music. I like to listen to, I don't listen to a lot of doom metal. I like to listen to other stuff just to try and distract me from it and just sort of like cleanse my palate a bit. And I've been listening to a lot of synthwave and um, 
that kind of music. Do you listen so, to Master Boot Record? You ever check him out? No, not checked that yet. Yeah, that check sounds cool. I like VHS Glitch or Perturbator and some of the more obscure yep. Asian ones that I can't put a name to. But you know, I, I, I've, I, I have been like really busy on my own personal life, really busy with the software platform that I mentioned earlier, and really busy with this new album. So I haven't, uh, I'm not a chance to listen to a lot of new music, sadly. Well, John, just for me, check out that Master Boot record. I, I really think oh. you'll like it. But John, I've I've kept you here for an hour. I'll let you go. But before we go, I'll give you a chance to mention you possibly seen Jen. Anything else you want to mention? Mention your link tree or whatever yeah. else you want to mention. I'll let you go. Sure. Okay. Well, our link tree is a link dot. I think it's link tr dot double e and then forward slash hail Conan. But yeah, scene Gen is 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 a a, a software platform aimed at the, uh, the the entertainment industry, but we're focusing on the underground metal scene first, and it's a networking and, and management tool, sort of like does all those cool things that people want Facebook to do, but it doesn't. Um, and we've and just, it doesn't it, steal your private data like Facebook does. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, you can find that you can search specifically for a promoter in a certain city or a band in a certain city and, and make contact with them straight away. It's it's not a static database. It's a uh, it's a uh, an, an active. Uh, 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 I forget whatever the opposite of static is, but it's a, it's a it's a net. It's, it's a line. It is a fluid. A Fluid, yeah, it's a live networking and managing uh, platform. But more on that when it's uh, when it comes to life. We've just gotten some investment now. Great, and, uh, yeah, we've been invited to apply for a grant for Liverpool City Region as well. So hopefully, we'll the development of it will gather pace um, over the next few months. That is absolutely wonderful. Hey, Elon Musk, if you're listening to this, we could use some money here. Put in the yeah, scene, Jen. <laughs> John, it has been an absolute pleasure to talk to you, sir. Thank I you. I cannot wait for your guys' album to come out. It is it is it is. I'm telling you something special, my no, friend. Thank you very much, John. Thank you for the time today, and during these times, continue to stay safe, sir. Thank you. You too. Thank Have you. A good one. Good.